Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Hello, hello. So my uh, co-host here, Jared, is a little bit delayed. So if anybody wants to come on stage and talk, please feel free. Steven, I'm calling you out. But... I know you're a fantastic host. Scrappy, what's up, man? Nice to see you, Pyro. Uh, but either way, we're just going to go ahead and get started. As I am really... The, the purpose of this space is, is to take a look at what happened in the art world this week and see if that changes anything that we think about the art world, talk about conversations that might have come up, and see if uh, there's anything interesting emerging that could be a broader trend. So really, it's a way for us to kind of look at what's been going on and, and chat through it. And, uh, you know, I got to say, Jared, thanks for coming up. Um, I feel like we should start with Bitcoin. I mean, this is like a, a massive rally that's happening and, and what it could mean for the art market, and uh, I'll go first instead of just teeing up a question for you. I am actually really encouraged by this price action. This is like incredibly bullish that it just continues to surge. And look at that Solana back above $108 now, uh, looking at the charts right now. And uh, I think we're starting to see this a little bit in the art markets. Uh, I did notice that the a lot of the Ordinals art collections got a little bit of a pump. Not crazy, but it, it seemed like they kind of bounced. Uh, and I think that's kind of following Bitcoin. Uh, the Solana side, less so. Uh, and, and certainly not the Ethereum side yet. But it just, it seems to me that these things tend to go hand in hand, right? Like, for whatever reason, people think if Bitcoin's pumping that Ordinal's art should, Ordinal's NFTs should, et cetera. And, you know, I, I'm not in a position to say that's the right way to think about it or not. It, it just is what it is. Uh, so I'm curious, Jared, if you have any art-related thoughts as it pertains to the market. And, uh, yeah. I'll start with Bitcoin. Um, the, the Bitcoin price, I think I shared with you yesterday that I'm really mirroring is that 48 48 3 territory to me it's a big retracement fibonacci level we're just about there i love the price action but i really think that like this is the line in the sand of um you know if it can blow through that with conviction and just leave it in the past like it's off to the freaking races um and i think a little bit of a, a bounce off of it in retracement down is a is is healthy and sets it up for like a massive run up am i right am i wrong i don't know i'm not a professional trader uh it's purely a hobby but it's something that um you know it's top of mind for me i love fibonacci's and and it's it's a uh, top of mind on the flip side how does it relate to the art market i don't know how it relates to the art market but the action in the art market i am extremely extremely enthusiastic about it i mean there's pieces changing hands i don't know how else to say it uh like that 10 eth uh rope reworld sale yesterday going to a trad art collector with 
you know, just conviction of being able to pay up for art they love is incredibly uh, bullish to me. Um, I'm just kind of looking across the the greater marketplace. Uh, I, I'm 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 encouraged, right? Like, there's a collector that actually I just recently started, um, you know, connecting with that bought a, a newsprint Meridian, paid up for it, you know, 16 ETH. So I think what's encouraging to me is you're starting to see people pay up for what they really like. And, and I don't know, man, I'm maybe I'm on a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a high right now, but I, I think it's a, you know, you're starting to see things loosen up in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, but it does seem to me that there is more movement at the higher end of the art market that is not happening on chain. And I know this ReWorld 10 Ether purchase was on chain, but it feels like that was one of the the first ones on chain. And I can't remember, or not one of the first ones, but one of the, the few examples in recent times I've been on chain. I, I almost forget this company's name. I want to say they are, I can't remember their name, but but they put out some great tweet threads. They had one recently on CryptoPunks that I thought was very good. And like, you know, the provenance behind punks and why they're important. And they have also, uh, you know, they're an OTC desk. They're helping place these over-the-counter in, well, often wealthy collectors' hands. I think they're mostly at the high end, like Fidenza's autoglyphs, et cetera. And, and they were talking about how they place two autoglyphs. I mean, there's, there's only 512 autoglyphs, right? So two moving is quite a big deal. So overall, uh, I'm encouraged to hear that. Like, uh, are, are you hearing anything more along those lines in your sort of a really elite collector networks, Jared? I know you, you through the fund, et cetera, have some relationships over there. Um, don't need to say who or anything, but it, yeah, what, what are you hearing on that end of the market? Kind of similar to what you're saying. Uh, I do see a lot of pieces. I mean, dude, let's look at the, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, 100 ETH X copy sale, right? Like to me, that's indicative of people wanting great art and paying up for it. Now you could argue like, is 100 ETH a hell of a deal for an X copy one of one? I, I would say yes. Um, I was surprised to see the sale, but yeah, I think that there is art changing hands and it's changing hands at a, at, a, at every level, in my opinion. And I think it's a hundred percent indicative of um, people looking at the, at the relative value and, and placing their bets where they have conviction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that uh, some of the sentiment within Discord's doesn't uh, quite notice that what is happening, which also speaks to how anchored we are to the metrics that we see all the time. You know, like you and I talk about this, like, yes, some floor prices are dipping, but in a lot of these collections, 90% plus of pieces are not even listed. So, you know, what are you going to pay attention to? How much are not even up for sale or the fact that some people are selling some. And I think that in the early days of the space, as we are in, it's just, what we kind of get anchored to. And as humans, we like to look at, at metrics. I, I think I, I always use the example of the US World News for those who are US-based, which is like a ranking of colleges that everybody cares about, but everybody sort of knows doesn't really matter or isn't super accurate, but it's the only number out there. So we anchor to it. And that tends to be what happens. But 
Let's let's talk a little bit about the post photo stuff. So you mentioned this ten rapti sale for Reworld by Rope Ernesto. Um, I don't know if that's the high. It might be. It's it's very near the all time high for that collection. Um, probably near an all time high for what we call post photo AI. Uh, but in addition to that, we saw a, quite a high sale. I don't know if it was earlier this week or late last week, but uh, Nice Aunties had a one-of-one one video sell for 6.25 ETH, I think it was, which is one of the highest, if not the highest sales on those daily auctions that Fellowship has. And then they also had a release on the 6th called the Auntieverse, and that was a 1,000 pieces. I believe they were all stills. None of those were videos, so they're all post-photo instead of post-video. And they sold that out. It actually... A complicated release mechanism, but there was 900 that went to Dutch auction at the end. The resting price was 0.1, sold out at 0.168. It's hovering around there, only 13% listed, which is actually quite great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, it, it seems like bullish on that end, bullish that the person who purchased this uh, near all time high, if not all time high, reworld was noted to be a prominent traditional art collector. So, you know, I wonder, like, is it, are, are people gravitating towards this post photo, post video as a, you know, not like a niche within the AI, AI art scene, but perhaps more of like dominant within the AI art scene. And I think there's a lot of interesting qualities to it, but one other data point I'll put out there, Jared, um, and uh, I'll, let, I'll let you respond. And then we, we have some requested here. Um, but one other data point I'll put out there is you remember when Life in West America released, which it turns out was literally a year ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, but Raul Paul was really taken by them and tweeted about how he bought like three or four of them. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear, am I just connecting dots that aren't there? Or are you seeing something similar, Jared? And then, and then we'll uh, let uh, Huda up here chat. Can we just first off say, like, man, what a quality audience! I'm, I'm, I'm honored to to look out into the crowd and, and see just such amazing names and supporters. So thank you, everybody, for for coming out. Um, the first off, I'll take a step back and my mental construct around post photography AI as an AI subsect is, is this, and again, similar to what you're saying, could it be right? Could it be wrong? I don't know, but my mental construct is that there is something inherently familiar with photography in general. We've all grown up with it, whether it's uh, looking at a magazine or high-end art, like or done it ourselves, right? Like how many times we're all familiar with taking pictures, whether it's the old school 35 millimeter or, or on our, our phone. So photography is uniquely familiar as a medium for communication. And then the thing I like about post photography in particular is the fact that it is not only familiar through photography, but it's like engaging in a quirky fashion. Every time I look at it, you have to do a double take or you see something new and that level of engagement on top of something that's so familiar is what I feel makes the post photography AI a very you know, top candidate within the the art space. So going back to your original question of all the different lines that have been or could have been um, connected, I think it's 
very accurate. Um, it, it, again, from my perspective, I, I I like to to keep a presence in a lot of unconnected circles, so to speak. And when you start to see similar sentiment or likes across those different circles, you know, it raises my eyebrows. And you mentioned Rao Paul, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of Rao Paul. I've been a Real Vision member and they're pro crypto for a long, long time. And to see somebody like Rao Paul, who is, you know, he's been very vocal about his, his buys. He's got uh, a punk, he's got an ape, but also recently he started picking up um, what I would consider is, you know, more outside the PFP realm and more traditional you know, art pieces. I think he picked up uh, a fuck render and uh, a Luis Ponce and, and a few others. And I thought this was like really like tasteful. And when, when somebody not to just like harp on Ralph Paul, but you know, when you start to see somebody collecting that broadly and it includes one of his, what he's vocal about one of his favorite pieces is being life in West America. I think that's a uh, really indicative Last point, I think is I think I even saw Rope mention that uh, the ten ETH was a top top for uh, reworld. So I, if I'm pretty sure it is the top over there. Awesome, yeah, thanks. Uh, the, I appreciate your your thoughts on there in that context there. And uh, yeah, hey Huda, thanks for coming up. Love to hear any thoughts you have. Uh, appreciate you having me. And man, I don't even know if I have any deep or big thoughts, but just hearing nice aunties where the hell did they come from? Because I have only been exposed to their art within the past few weeks here and I'm completely smitten completely. Um, yeah, it feels like there's something very, very new happening in AI art, but that's coming from someone who maybe is not following it closely enough. So I think you were touching on this. Is there something changing in the AI art space? Like not just the meta, but becoming, um, man, I don't know something much bigger than that. What, what, what is happening there? Well, you know, actually, this is perfect. Let me ask you, like, what what hooked you about it? Like, what made you feel like you wanted to look at it more or excited you? Or what were you feeling? Absolutely the fact that it is a video, right? There's just kind of every second there's something new on the screen that is tickling my brain and exciting me. And, you know, it's it's like nonstop eye candy. And that's the first thing that gets me. Um I've learned that I've really liked collage art because there's so many different things that, that, um, you know, ideas that sometimes butt up against each other and, and I find them puzzling and interesting. And so I, I find that I stare at that kind of thing longer than I do maybe most other things. So, yeah, I mean, it was like people's kind of work come to life, like as bizarre, as fascinating. And, and again, I've seen earlier iterations of that kind of thing, like with eclectic method, um, with some early, is it gone or Gan work? I mean, like I, I used to look at early Quasimondo stuff and I, I knew there was something to that, but seeing nice aunties again, it brings it to a whole other level where it's like that art form has reached a different, like a, a different level of maturity. I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. And I was so excited to see that sale. Um, I love the idea of the live auctions, but I was just so happy to see that all time high sale. And um, again, their work specifically, I just like, I, I like clearly at a loss for words for it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I also, I start with a feeling like I really got hooked with the, I know it's a terrible name, but the post photo AI artwork 
really hooked me with uh, Rope Ranisto's Life in West America. And what really strikes me about this is I think it very quickly, like you, like you see something familiar, uh, but it, it quickly starts appearing absurd. And I think that this in the earlier days, like a year ago, which is not even that long ago, but in, in the earlier days, I felt like most AI art that did utilize GANs and, uh, you know, I don't even know how it's made exactly, but I know like a lot of data goes into it that, that creates the images where you look at Rafik's work, you know, like it, it didn't resemble something that I recognized as much, but when I saw Life in West America, it in the first instant, it looked like something I'd seen before, like a photograph, but then there was something weird, something surreal, something was off. And it also really balanced like a nostalgia really well. And I think Nice Aunties does the same thing. I mean, they're intriguing on multiple levels, there's a whole cultural level. I believe they're Singaporean. Uh, and, you know, the, this concept of an auntie in Asian culture, certainly in Indian culture, uh, which is sort of like, just kind of like an older female family friend and everyone's an auntie, they don't have to be related to you. So I think there's like an interesting cultural element to that. Um, clearly there's this surrealism that happens and it's, it's kind of funny, it's like lighthearted. And uh, I don't know, it, it, it just works really well. And beyond that, they have this extremely consistent theme and a signature, right? Like you can tell that it's their work um, based on the aunties, but I'm sure there are other features if I look more closely that will, will tip off the hat that, that this is them. And I think all of that shows a, a maturation and it's all quite difficult to do. And that's why you don't see too many artists with that kind of signature, that kind of a theme that kind of a vibe. And I think that has, has really resonated, but you know, there are other post AI artists and post video uh, AI artists that I really, really like uh, that are putting out great work and actually dove a little bit more into the video side of things this week. And uh, it's, it's really cool because with the videos, they can really uh, sort of differentiate themselves from the other artists. And, and you can do this with the photos as well. Uh, actually, there's a collection that launched just I think it was yesterday, maybe two days ago, on Solana called Modern Zombies. And this one is only photos, but it kind of has like a more, you'll actually like this, Huda, it has more of a collage-like feel to it in which it's partially photo, but then it kind of partially looks like a print. So it's different is what I'm saying. And it's like distinctly different. And you can kind of see that when you look through it. And I love that experimentation. I love how this genre, I mean, if I had to really circle around what's captivating about it is, is the surrealism, but it makes it look so real at first by using like very photorealistic images. At least, I don't, I don't know if that resonates. Uh, I don't know, Jared, if you, you could, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jared. I'm like, if any of that resonates with you um, or yeah, or why perhaps this is resonating with folks more now um, than, than it was before. So full disclosure, I bought, if it's in my public wallet, the, a nice aunties, um, the auntieverse, you know, on secondary, because I was a dope and completely missed the mint. Um, and I actually love, I love the, I haven't read the full stuff about the stories, but there's like different chapters, different themes. There's just something like really fun to, to collect. And I think the thing that's most encouraging to me about the collection is people are paying up for the ones that they resonate with, which I think is like a really unique 
uh, aspect within like the, the AI category is we find ourselves seeing people pay up for the ones that they resonate with uh, a ton. And so because there's not like a lot of metadata, there's not a lot of different things. I mean, I guess shameless plug for a collector's corner premium for you asked them is, you know, in the art releases uh, section, like Rope is even talking about rare traits within smiles, right? That there's no metadata for that. And you see people paying up for some of this stuff and, and it's, you know, it's inherently there. Your eye sees it, but I like to see people uh, buying with conviction and, you know, way above floor. I've seen some wrapped ETHs uh, in the one ETHs or two ETHs, like three ETHs. Like this is, like it's just, it's so, uh, it's invigorating to me because you start to see um, people buying with their eye. And, and that to me is really indicative of like, I think why we all came to art uh, and not just like living in the metadata all the time. So I'll, I'll I, I got a little bit off topic and off question, but the 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 nice antis i think that there's a a large allure to it because honestly it's one of the collections i've seen in a long time that it just is a lot of fun like it's it's so much fun and it's engaging and it's kind of like captivated the hearts and minds of of the people collecting and you know for that i'm i'm all in on it it's what it's why i ended up buying one is because i was like i'd rather be along for this ride and and experience it and and support the art i mean i also bought a I'm buying a lot of AI stuff lately. I bought one of, I minted one of Pindar's collection, uh, the reflections, because, uh, you know, I just, I think that there's some, it's fun. The, the other point I'll say is like the, the price action on these is still reasonable. I'm not going to discount, especially with ETH ripping, you know, Pindar stuff, 0.3 ETH, you know, $800 for a piece. It, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. I feel very privileged to be able to, to buy that, but you know, it's, you're seeing like art, especially within the AI categories, I feel like have an attractive price point. So I'm pretty sure I just danced around every single question that you had without answering one of them, but damn it, that was top of mind for me. No, man, that's, that's great. I mean, that that's what this is for. And uh, I do think it is a fantastic sign that people are jumping the floor to buy what they like. It means that they're not really worried about prices and they're just collecting because they like stuff. And that's honestly how it should be. Right? I mean, I know that we can like zero in on all these statistics and metrics that are in front of our face all the time. But I think seeing that is, is very encouraging. And it also means that things are at a price point where people feel comfortable doing that. Um, which I think is an important part of this equation when we look at collections that are sometimes not selling out and whatnot. Um, you know, that, that, that's really all part of it. I guess the last thing I'll say on the post photo slash video stuff, um, it does seem like there is more uh, video works starting to come out. I'm not super versed in the technology, but I know it's rapidly advancing all the time. I think it's making this more possible, but Rope to tell us that it is much, much harder to make a video piece than it is to make a just photo piece. So, you know, I think it's going to be harder for folks to replicate that. And that'll be always, well, maybe not always, but at least in the short term, that, that's going to be more scarce. We'll see how that changes with technology. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I am starting to think and, you know, I change my mind all the time based on what I'm seeing, but I'm really starting to think that 
this post photo, post video stuff is what's going to drive the AI, uh, let's call it genre forward, maybe more so than some of the older works that were more GAN based. And I think that's because this has that hook of giving you something that feels familiar, but then it's like a bait and switch where you're like, wait, hold on, something's weird here. Why does that person have five hands? Or you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, and I think that's also good because it makes it very obvious that you're looking at AI art and not something that's real. And I do wonder how much folks will be wary of deep fakes going forward. Uh, not sure. And look, there are other ways to do it, right? We have like uh, actually super honored Grant Yoon, amazing artist listening in here and his works uh, I've, like similarly bring you to another place, get you nostalgia. Um, but they don't, you know, they're not photorealistic, but a lot of what we're seeing coming out on mid journey is, is like, they look like photos. Like it's getting to a point where I'm like, I probably wouldn't be able to tell <laughs> that this was made by AI versus like a, a camera. So I do wonder how much uh, making it very clear that it's AI will, will come into this and the story, right? Like the storytelling element of it with, uh, can be really creative there. So anyways, I'll stop gushing. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the genre. I, I have been. Uh, since I saw it, and I'm I'm excited to see maybe that potentially it's uh, it's going to be spreading, but we will uh, we will have to see from there. Um, I think this is a the post photography AI is a is an opportunity to like red pill people outside of the traditional digital space. If that makes any sense, and that's kind of the reason why I'm very bullish on it is it's it's oddly relatable. And it's also familiar. And, and I think that, again, we're cherry-picking examples, but with the, this 10-week sale for the, the re-world, it's indicative to me that um, people are going to follow their eye and people accustomed to, to maybe dishing out a little bit more money than is normal to us is something that... Um, you know, the, 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 the hopium aspect of me is, is I think we start seeing a bit more of this and, you know, it's just all the more reason why, you know, some of us who are early and, and saw this, like, you know, there's that phrase, like lock up your JPEGs, right? Like the institutions are coming for them. There's, I, I think Rope when it comes to post photography is, is a cut above, um, the, the, the rest and his, his stuff is super engaging. I also think that that's where like this, uh, you know, the smile opportunity is like, it's, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic for me because again, in the collector's corner premium, he was posting about these quote unquote pure trait items, the lips that like, look, and this is going to sound weird, but like the way they're supposed to, right. And I'm using finger quotes on that and how they, that's where everything stemmed from. And he took his inspiration on, on modifying a number of, the, the things that the, the rest of the collection, I think he posted like 20 or 30 of them that were quote unquote uh, pure. And then out of a collection of 5,000, it just allows for like these prompts and really like post photography to get like super creative. And you see these like crazy variants, some that are like creepy, others that are familiar. And, and, and that uh, just, just becomes like super engaging overall and i think that um you know my last point is i i think it especially with something that big and that inexpensive you start to get like really 
interesting opportunities around set collecting. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, it, it'll be fun to see how this continues to evolve, but it does seem to have that reaction with people. And I'm very curious to see this modern zombies collection on Solana. So I mentioned that briefly, it minted at 0.25 Solana. It's now at three Solana, so significantly higher. A bunch listed still, 22% listed, but it's early and it's been trending down. And I'm curious to see, you know, does do do people see this and then all of a sudden get hooked and be like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, that's what we want, right? Like, I think it's just amazing when you see a piece of art and it just kind of changes your perspective on things and the way you think about it or a genre of art. And I felt that way about generative art and felt that way about post photo AI. So yeah, re really excited to see that. Uh, Toth, what's up, man? What's going on guys? Um... Yeah, so I, I, I love this conversation because this, this was kind of a light bulb moment for me as well. And I think uh, like, like Huda was saying, you know, I think when you start going through the more GAN-based work, earlier work, like I, I was just messing around mostly on Tezos for, for inexpensive pieces. And there's a lot of portraiture and, and, it, and it makes you, you don't really feel that like emotional connection that you feel to a lot of art because it, it did feel more like a machine created it. And I think the, the light bulb went off for me really with, with life in West America and seeing that you can pull out, you know, something that's both a little bit familiar, but also bizarre. But for some reason, it just pulls out that, that emotion to you. And, I, and I'm not to say that like only post-photo AI work can, can, can do that because I think like, for example, you know, views by Delta Sauce, who's, who's in the audience, um, you know, that, that's, a, that, that, that's one that really draws out emotion because it has, you know, it, it's, it's using that kind of melancholy that you feel just gazing out of a window, essentially. Um, you know, so I think that the, you know, the, the short of it is really like the heuristic that I've kind of come to adopt for AI art is, is do, do I feel that emotion from it? You know, like, like it, it's, it, it's still art. It's got to, it's got to draw that emotion and whatever that emotion may be, because with a nice auntie's piece, you may say, man, that just makes me, makes me want to laugh and, and have fun, you know, cause, cause their, their work is just incredible like that. So, but I do think that's, that's where, where you have to start thinking about, you know, is it, is it drawing that emotion and, or, or is it telling a story that's really interesting? Um, but, but I think, yeah, the, the post photo AI stuff is really interesting. The videos, um, you know, we, we were on our collector's corner community call last night. We, we called out, you know, obviously nice aunties, but uh, people like Sheldrick and Public Fruit, and uh, I like Milo Pullman a lot. There's some there's some great work coming out there, and I'd encourage everyone just to just to mess around with Fellowship. They're really the home for 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 the post photography AI movement. Uh, they've they've done so much good stuff. There, there's a lot of really high quality stuff uh, through their collections, especially their um, post photography uh, perspectives number one, which featured Reworld. Um, amongst another number of other great collections. So, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun time, I think, for AI collecting. And, and I, I do think this is going to be the, you know, what really is a catalyst for the next big art run. Well, you, you heard it here first from Toth, folks, the catalyst for the next big AI art run. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think it could be. And I think, you know, one thing that I am encouraged about with the market doing well for folks who joined a little bit after at the, at the very beginning we were talking about how bitcoin's going up it, it just brings more attention 
and it brings more eyeballs onto the art and the interesting things going on in the space that are not purely financial. And I think that's actually both really important and uh, really good. Like uh, Jared and I, we use this analogy a lot of like the, the ice cube melting, right? It's like the ice cube is melting for a long time before you see it. All the little bonds are being broken internally. And then all of a sudden it seems like it turns into a puddle. And I really think with the level of art that we have, that the level of talented artists and the fantastic art that they are creating and showcasing in the space, um, it's just a matter of time until people see it and experience it. Especially people who were like somewhat art naive the way that I was. Like I didn't really have much of a, a connection with art prior to being in Web3. Uh, and I think that's a major opportunity and I, I think it just will happen inevitably and that will kind of compound on itself and this stuff does take time. And actually wanted to, uh, Jared, is, is there any, any like other releases from this week that you want to talk about? Um, I have, I have a topic in mind to switch gears, but I want to give you a, a chance to bring something up first. Go for it, my man. Okay, so I think this is a this is a good post that came out recently. I'm not going to read it all. I actually should probably pin this. Uh, I'll pin it in a second. But it came from Haver. Um, Haver, a lot of folks probably know him. Really nice guy. He works at Alba Art. He's their artistic director over there, as well as a generative, generative artist himself. But I had a post not too long ago. When was this? Uh, yesterday, it looks like. Um, and he really just was sharing some thoughts on the current market right now with artists. And he's in a privileged position of both being an artist and also running a platform. So he interacts with a lot of collectors and, and kind of understands that world. And, um, you know, his four main points here, again, I'll pin it. It's quite long. I think it's worth reading, but I wanted to open a discussion around these points and get your take on it, Jared. And, and if you're comfortable, toss yours as well and invite anybody, including the artist and stage to hop on and chat about this. Um, essentially what he says is, and I think he's really talking to folks who are not the, the top, top artists, right? Like top artists, um, they're sort of have different dynamics going for them, but he says great art still sells. Right. And he mentioned a few collections that have been selling slowly, but surely maybe not selling out in the first hour like they used to, but they're still selling, especially if it's great art. That's point one. Point two um, that I strongly agree with is making a post about your art that's open to mint, like let people know. Right. I think this is super important because Twitter is not a super efficient way of getting the word out. It, it's just not. Um, but it's the best we have. And this is what we have to deal with for now. Um, and he gives some examples of that actually working. Number three, take more time between mints, right? With, that, with demand lower and the bar higher, it doesn't make, make as much sense to release every few weeks. And I think that part is key. I do think the bar is getting higher, right? I don't think that the number of artists who are coming to space is decreasing. I, I don't have numbers. Uh, artists in, in the in the, in the room here, probably know better. Um, since you guys are in art communities, you probably see how many new people are coming, how many older people are checking out or leaving, but you know, it, it's probably only gonna keep growing. Uh, and so taking more time to mint. Uh, and as, as part of that is, uh, you know, he was saying, it's actually quite interesting. He, he recommended a cadence of three to four months between mints. So you, you have enough time to really work on that next release. 
Uh, but at the same time, it hasn't been so long that people forget your name. I don't know what the right number is, but I think that idea, that concept makes a ton of sense. And uh, the other thing you said is, and I, I like this a lot, the thing that most hurts a project today, other than the lack of new collectors overall in the space, is wildly mispricing your work. Um, I think that I, I agree with that. I do not envy the job that artists have in trying to understand this. Uh, but I do want to say folks like me and Jared and, and I know Toth and probably a lot of other people here in the crowd are, are happy to weigh in and, and help artists uh, think about how they might want to price their work or what supply they're going to release. To some extent, I don't think it's really about individual pricing as much as is the, the total, uh, I hate to use the word market cap, right? Like the supply you're releasing times the price per piece is what I, I think you need to, to think about. So. I'm going to shut up here. I'm going to pin this tweet so you guys can see it. I think it's a great one. Uh, and uh, yeah, Jared would love your thoughts and anybody else like uh, please request and obviously talk if, if you want to chat about it too. So what I will say is I'll, I'll reiterate what uh, Aston said. Uh, I'm constantly talking to artists and, and having a pulse on the market uh, since 8NAP Art has officially launched and the platform is ready to go. I mean, this, this topic's top of mind. So if anybody has and hopefully some artists can vouch for some constructive feedback that I have uh, provided. But I do think that, um, you know, the as, as far as like the release mechanism, the release quantity and the release price, I think it all comes down to what the desired effect is. And sometimes creating um, enthusiasm amongst the market Look at that, getting rugged by a phone call right in the middle of it, uh, of, of my little soapbox. Am I back? Can you guys hear me? Thumbs up? Yep. We good? All right. Brilliant. Um, I think that there there's a place in the marketplace for that, and there's a place to, to allow for secondary. I also think that there's a place for max value extraction through primary and the artists, and... Um, I think that that's really up to the artist and being informed about a lot of different approaches or um, opportunities. We have a lot of data right now uh, from both smaller and larger releases to be able to kind of do an analytics around that. And I think that that's, it's a really fun discussion is what could be right now is not necessarily what's right tomorrow. And then also being able to create an environment where we get to uh, <laughs> rope is he, he sent this to me a couple of times, but it's one of my, my new fun sayings. I hope if this goes, uh, maybe we're at bleep it out on editing, but like fuck around and find out, right? Like th there's a really good opportunity right now where we're, we're creating our own paths and doing stuff that makes sense to each and every one of us. So th th that's a long distracted rant to say, I don't think there's a right solution. Um, maybe the market cap is good, but I also think it comes down to what the artist's intent is for for themselves and their the the community that they want to create around it. Uh, you know, each each collection and each artist approach could be very individualized and accomplish the same goals with completely different paths. I guess is my my final sentiment. 
yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I largely agree with what you were saying there. Um, Top, did you want to weigh in on some of the sentiment in this tweet before we go yeah. to Delta? Yeah, just a couple, um, a couple of quick points. Uh, first of all, I love love the tweet thread. I think it was very useful, very, very, very well said. Um, and I think the big thing for me that that I think that come that came out of that is, you know, artists should really listen to the collectors and and you know even you know reach out to someone like Aston and see if you can poke your head in the collector's corner and just get some get some advice. You know, because because sometimes you know your collection is right, but the mechanics behind it aren't. You know, maybe there's, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of collections that if you just took some, you know, if artists just took a, you know, some, some, some constructive criticism and, and talk to, you know, who are their customers and super fans in advance, I think that, you know, that there could be a lot of, a lot of missteps avoided. So I think that was a, a really key point. Um, I slightly disagree with the have a cadence of dropping every three to four months. I think there should be one test for an artist when it comes to should I drop or should I not? It's what is the, you know, is there a purpose behind this? And is this something that I think is really high quality? You know, like, like, I, I don't think there should be any, like, like forced cadence to what you drop as an artist. It, it should be natural. If, if you have something that you want to say every month and you think it's high quality and there's a purpose behind it, then, then drop every month. And if it's once every two years, that's the same. You know, I think, I think there's a million different ways to approach this. And, you know, yeah, it's tricky to, to, to get people to, to, to show attention. And I love the, the example he used with uh, Paolo Silva. I, I minted a couple of folios right away. I think actually James Merrill actually called that one out in Collector's Corner as a cool project. Um, and uh, I, I, I really dig it. And, and Paolo was, yeah, every day he was showing off his, his algorithm. He wasn't trying to just drop something new to catch attention. He was saying, listen, I believe in this project. It's a beautiful project. And I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that's, that's a better approach, you know, a, a post a day about one of your algorithms or one of your outputs, I should say, as opposed to, man, I just, I just got to keep on dropping to, to keep attention. So I think that's the only part that I kind of disagreed with. Um, but, but overall it was a, it was a really well said and, and, and very well needed uh, tweet thread. That's awesome. I, I love your thoughts. And I think you make a great point about the release cadence and, a different way to think about it that might be mm, a little bit more uh, resonant with folks. Uh, but the Delta, thanks for coming up, man. We'd love any thoughts you have. No, thank you for letting me come up. And I, I love that post. It was a great post. And honestly, I agree with a lot of sentiment and, and thought was right with the whole, if you feel something about a collection, drop it. Because some of my biggest regrets as an artist is like, not minting some of my older AI artwork in, in 2021 because uh, I, I was told under the I, I was told and I believe that you got to worry about oversupply and whatnot back then and it's just like there was a lot of good art that I had back then that I, I never minted and that's still just unminted to this day and that's one of my biggest regrets as an artist but for, for me it's just like I, I've slowed down on minting and I've been more thoughtful about what I want to put out into the world and the intent behind it and the mechanics behind it and, and for me and I'll give a prime example I thought I wasn't going to sell out all my brain drops right away and I was willing to wait months if I have to because I'd rather my artwork get into the hands of people that love it and enjoy it than sell out instantly like it, it's not about the money anymore it, it stopped being about that since last year it's more about legacy and making sure that people are 
enjoying my artwork. They, they love what they got. And just, I want to make people happy with my artwork and the, the money will come secondary. Like that's for me, like it's always about passion first money comes second. And I've been very driven by that. So I, I agree, like good art will sell it out eventually. And if it doesn't sell out instantly, that's fine. Just let it wait. You'll find the right collectors. I've another example is I have one of ones that haven't sold that is uh, two years old now and it's still available and no one's bought it, but it's still going to be on the blockchain and someone will eventually come by and grab it when they want it. And that's how I always felt about artwork. It's just, I, I'd rather people at the end of the day buy my artwork and enjoy it than, than buy it and, and end up regretting it. So I, my art will wait for the right collector if it need be. Absolutely, man. I, I, I love that. And, you know, one part, if, if you feel comfortable answering this, putting you on the spot here a little bit is this idea of, you know, posting about your art that is available. You know, how do you think that would be perceived perhaps by the artist community? Like, is that a consideration or let me back up more broadly, like what are the barriers to folks doing that and what might be a path to overcoming them? Honestly, I, I feel like Twitter is like the worst with visibility right now, especially Algo. Like my visibility is nothing at the moment. And it's just like putting it out there and it not getting seen or noticed. Is, it, it can be soul crushing at times, like to be completely honest. But it's just about putting it out there and, and sharing it. And I, I'll, I'll go on a, a little bit of a tangent here. Like especially with older work, like how do you go about elevating older work that is sold and like you, you want to make it shown that it, you know, it's there, it, it, you, you built it and you've done it. And it's just like, how do you go about like executing on sharing older work? Like I, I understand the whole good morning, good night, you know, metric and whatnot and getting your work shown like that. But it's just like, I, I just think you got to share your artwork like that at the end of the day that's all that you can do and you can talk about it and i asked them we've we've talked about this the other day in, in the collector's corner about like threads and, and talking about artwork in depth and like how threads aren't really appreciated and usually when you post a thread people don't read it and it's just like for me it's just like why even bother sometimes and i want to get my words out there and, and share what my art means and like how I perceive my artwork, my process and whatnot. And I feel like a lot of artists are dissuaded nowadays about posting threads when it comes to their artwork that's available because no one's going to read it. Like usually your, your, your best bet is just to post your artwork with the title and then wait 30 minutes and then post a link under it. So you don't get destroyed by the algorithm, but it's just like, how do you go about writing threads that people will engage with and potentially read it is one of the big questions, especially when it comes to social media and the space and how quickly the space operates. Because like most of the time people just scroll through and like, like posts. And so I, I will say, I think that to some degree, whether it's yourself, somebody you hire, like there's an obligation to like curate, like what you want to go out to the world. And then start to tell your story. And then I would say, just because you say it once doesn't mean it's been heard, if that makes any sense. Largely because there's always new new algorithms, new engagement, new people, new collectors. Um, like you have a, a really good website, Delta, in my opinion. And there's a, an opportunity to link to a, a gallery.so place and, and have a, a story because you can do music on those, like have a story or a narration that goes behind it and on occasion send some likes or eyes that way. But 
you know, I think that, um, you know, the thing I'm constantly reminded of, and this isn't a reflection of you per se, or any other artist, I guess I'll use it in the context of my own story is like, just cause I've said something about eight nap doesn't mean that anybody or everybody heard it. Right. So it's part of the reason of like coming up here on this basis, telling your story, going on other ones, telling your story. And you may be blue in the face, but it's really about sharing your story in, in enough corners of the, the industry that people can hear it. And I think that, especially for a lot of the early AI artists, I think that what I've found is, especially when I've been trying to do research for, you know, the announcements of the eight and a half artists is like, it's hard to aggregate a lot of your early work. And I know that's not disrespect to you. It's just like it was being released in all these different places. There's not an easy place to view the work. So I think that there's a, a huge opportunity for uh, yourself or even others to, you know, maybe even your collectors to like aggregate that into one space, whether it's gallery or DECA or any of these other places to, to allow for an easy viewing of your work. But it's not just like, cause like even asked him, asked him like in our early collectors corner days did like, bro, you did like hours of work to put these deck of galleries together and then sometimes people wouldn't even peruse no, them nobody saw them nobody, saw nobody them, right? knows that they're out there <laughs> it, so so to me it's like not only doing the work but finding creative ways to um and, and you and i can talk offline about it but like finding some creative ways to to drive eyes to that and creating a story around it. i think that's something like i'm very enamored with is like the story behind the work and, and i you know i on palettes and perspectives we had grant on a few weeks ago and you know, I, I jokingly introduced him as the hardest working uh, artist in Web3. And I truly mean that because if you look at his resume for everything he accomplished on 2023, it's like the guy was everywhere. And I think that's a compliment to uh, the networking that he's doing, but also like the self-advocacy. Oh, look at that comment drove him away. Um, <laughs> but uh, all joking aside, like the, you know, at some point, I know it's maybe not intuitive or you may feel like it's a lot of uh, or too much self-admiration in a public fashion. But honestly, I think your number one fan should be yourself. And I say that to all artists, but curious to hear if uh, James has a different perspective now that you're up here. Hey, what's up? Nice to talk to you guys again. Uh, I think you should be a fan of yourself to answer your question. Um, what I was going to kind of talk about a little bit was just like what Delta was talking about um, with, you know, how do you promote yourself? How do you keep a fresh story out there? But how do you keep a fresh story, in my opinion, is different from your release cadence, right? So like my strategy is like I don't release that often, but I build kind of like a blockbuster every time and I build a narrative. Maybe there's a video, maybe there's a site. And like a lot of people are going to skip past that, but the true fans like are going to dig in. And the other thing is it's going to stick around so that hopefully, you know, with SEO and Google, et cetera, like when people start to Google generative art and that sort of thing, like your name starts to rise up. Right. And I kind of got that just looking at, you know, the early work of like Matt Delaurier and Tyler Hobbs, like they both wrote essays that you can go back and read like years before NFTs and all that sort of thing. And they're kind of like amazing still. And they're what you're going to find when you go and you kind of look for like how to make generative art or the techniques within it or how to think about it. So, you know, we all have a story as an artist. And I think documenting that gives you something to talk about that isn't just another release, right? It's 
it's why you're doing it, potentially how you're doing it, um, and, and kind of pulling back the curtain and giving people something to believe in. So I think that's a good thing. And, you know, maybe holistically you do that for your brand, but also on a project to project basis. Like, like I said, I mean, like for the things that I've been really focusing on, it's like goes far beyond just the algorithm I'm writing. It's what's the, the resonance between that and myself? What's the process? what's different about it and just documenting all of that and just spending time writing. And I mean, we're all super familiar with AI here. And for me, I'm not a huge writer, but that can help me get my like thoughts out. Right. And just kind of organize myself. So it's made it a lot easier. Um, and then the other thing I was just going to say is like, you could, don't have to release everything you make. And I think going back to Haver, who's amazing, by the way, I was able to meet him recently. Uh, he kind of spoke on this a little bit, but like you can put out really amazing art, but you don't always have to launch it on FX hash or whatever, right? Like you don't have to do anything with it. Maybe you just do an exploration for six months where you evolve an algorithm or maybe you just sell prints. Or for me, I'm lucky because I love doing plotter art and it's a great way to make generative art that people can buy that has nothing to do with the blockchain. And then, oh, by the way, you're diversifying your income streams and you're not so like leveraged against Web3, which is a roller coaster. Um, and it can be really scary sometimes. So it's like, how can you kind of expand your horizons, make your, your art business a little more sustainable by diversifying, I think is critical as well. And Delta, I see your hand up, so I'll go, go for it. No, I, I, I wanted to like touch on that topic of like diversification because I've gotten a lot of pushback in Web3 just speaking that out in, in, like, in, a, in a setting with a tweet. Like I've just gotten, and I don't understand it because to me, it's the most responsible thing to do as an artist is to be able to diversify your income so that you can do this for the next 10, 30, 40, 50 years, you know? And and there's a lot of pushback when, when it comes to speaking about galleries and the traditional institutes that are outside of Web3. Yeah, I you know, I, I know where you're coming from. And I think there is kind of a clash between the Web3 art scene and like the traditional gallery scene which is its own thing. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's a whole can of worms. But I think in terms of like the way I think about it, it's dumb not to want someone who you've bought art from to do that, right? Because if they can cement their legacy, the value of the artwork that you own goes up. Like that is a no, no brainer to me. If they have to quit and go get like a real job again in a couple years because they couldn't sustain this, then the value of your art's going to go down. Like that doesn't make any sense for you to root for them to do that. Right. I know. I 100% agree with you. And I think diversification is key. And that's something else I'm looking forward to or looking towards because like, I, I know this is not sustainable to have a hundred percent of my income come from web three. Web three is my home. I'm not leaving, but I also know that there's aspects out there and there's opportunities out there that are much bigger and why would you not want a wider audience for people that collect your art and enjoy your artwork? Like for me, I would want my artwork above the mantles of like hundreds of homes. Like that's a big goal of mine is to have my artwork out there in the world and people enjoy it. Or, or maybe in hundreds of Apple vision pros when people are walking <laughs> around. I'm just, I'm just saying that's the way it's going. Um, you know, literally the only, uh, this is an awesome conversation and awesome comments. So, so thank you both for coming up and chatting about this. Um, I will say going back to like telling your story, you know, when Jared and I started interviewing artists about their collections, I mean, there's a, a rich story and a lot of thought that goes into 
at least all the artists that we were talking to, I'm not going to say every artist does it, but I think most people do. And that's sort of what compels you to make the art in the first place. Right. And so I think that there's always like a really, really interesting story of that art piece itself, but then also of you as the artist and your journey and how you're changing and how even, you know, cultural events are impacting you and how that might translate into your art. Like uh, I think of William Upon with Strands of Solitude and how a lot of that was around his feelings that were happening during COVID. And uh, like, that's a cultural example. Uh, Mount Vitruvius, we talked to him about Render's game and the concept to him came from like a big charcoal sculpture in, you know, that was itself an artistic piece and, and trying to recreate that with code and adding a generative uh, flair to it. And that just was really, really cool. And I think it, it takes it to the next level for collectors and even if it's not somebody who is going to be able to buy your artwork like today or even the next month, it, you know, it might not be for years, but I think having that content out there, not only sort of elevates your craft, elevates your brand, um, makes it very clear the, the effort and skill that went into your art in some instances can make it clear how your art was made. There's a lot of questions about AI art. Is it just mid journey? blah, blah, blah. And, and people just love hearing about it. Like this is an opportunity to in even the slightest way, nudge the space to away from the markets and the prices and all that and towards the story of the art and engaging with the art and uh, a lot of, and actually even educating people, right? I mean, a lot of you all come from really rich art history backgrounds or you've studied it up and you could say, yeah, you know, I'm building on, blah 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 something that picasso did i, I don't know like I, i'm making it up see i obviously don't know that much about the art history side of it but that's why i want to know like i want to know where it all came from and every artist has their story and their evolution and in that way you can tie back every piece of work you do to to the other ones just like every person has their story in you know what happens in their life and, and then because of that it's very relatable and i think that's something that you know, you should put out there or, you know, think about and figure out how to get the, the word out there. And, and I see Black in the audience. Uh, Black and I were chatting a bunch yesterday and, you know, he, he's got a whole, like a real story, you know, like a, a real lore with creativity and storytelling uh, that is behind his art and a, and a clear through line. And like, you should put that out there, you know, uh, whether it's, intentionally created uh, the way that black has done it, or if it's just sort of you and your life and, and how you've um, evolved yourself both as a person and as an artist. Um, that's, that's really cool. And I, I think like people really want to hear that. And in that way, every artist, every release has a story to tell that that makes sense. I'm sorry, that was like a long rant, but I'd, I'd love to hear any, any thoughts you guys have on that. I, I think that like there's a you know me asked them like the word and right like I think you gotta tell your story and you know this is something I've been working with a few um, artists on is and lean into your your I'll call it most prized collectors and and allowing them to have a um, you know a story for themselves that gives them a deeper connection to your art. I mean, you and I were just talking about this yesterday. I asked them about a thousand true fans. Like, I think the goal here is to be able to create a thousand true fans when you release something. You know, you know, you, you have a thousand diehards who are out there who are going to support whatever it is that you choose to do as an artist and give you the the autonomy to to explore whatever it is that 
as an artist you're looking to do. And I think that that's a really um, interesting concept, one that I'm, I'm really trying to, to create a mental model around at this point. But I think you also, you know, going back to that concept of a, a core group of collectors, you, you want them out there with the, the megaphones advocating for, for your work when, when, with, when it comes out with whatever cadence as the artist you dictate is necessary, but allows you to um, like really have um, a, a, like a, a crowd who's going to crowdsource like the, the enthusiasm and advocacy of that um of that work. I, 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 one last thought around this is there's a concept, a movie, it's an old one. It's actually when Haley Joel Osment was actually a little kid called pay it forward. If anybody's seen it, it's a tearjerker. I won't ruin the end. No spoiler alerts, but the whole concept of pay it forward is you do a nice act. And the only thing you ask in return is that they pay it forward by doing three act, three kind acts. Right. And the, the concept is then you get this, web of kindness and, and positive acts that um that propagate in, in a in an exponential fashion and i think that that's you know a concept that like for me as an artist i would be looking for is like it's nice if you hit the home run but find the people who can amplify it so they're they're pay it forward moments you know maybe they hit three people or 10 20 100 like the more people who are going to see your work, the the better it is overall, because you're able to to then onboard onboard more and more people. I guess that's where I'll stop and pause. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm really glad we're talking about this because I think it's an it's an important discussion. Uh, I think that there are a couple things. So. Delta, you mentioned writing threads. I agree, threads are not the most efficient way to really get people to read something. I think nothing on Twitter is. I guess maybe some videos. If you like, literally embed a video in a tweet, that'll slow people down. Although I do think you have to put captions on that because um, a lot of people won't want to listen to it on audio. So th there are challenges. And as somebody who has been fully building on Twitter, uh, or really in, in Web3, like, you know, we, we spent zero money in marketing uh, for Collector's Corner. And we, we started with zero followers. It was a completely new brand. And I think that you essentially utilize Twitter to get yourself more exposure, right? Like the more followers you have. And yes, your, your tweets won't go to everybody, but they'll go to a lot more people if you have 10,000 followers than if you have 100. And so... In some ways, the threads are a way to continue to get your name out there and build up the followers, but not necessarily the thing that you expect people to fully read. So in that sense, I do think like for you to tell your stories properly, to tell your stories of your pieces properly, like a tweet thread is tough. And you guys see this, like maybe the, the, the top thread, like the first one, even from like 6529 or whatever, it's got 100,000 views. And by the time you get to post 15, there's like a thousand maybe and who knows if that's like how long they actually viewed it. So completely agree. I think you need something longer form, whether it's like a podcast or a video you make or whatever. Um, I don't think it has to be crazy high quality. Like I know that that's something that you probably want. And if you have the means to do it, you totally should. But I really don't like, I think any content is better than no content. 
uh, and what you say matters more than necessarily like how polished the video is. I literally still do my like video recordings on Zoom. I know it's not sexy, but hey, I'm still bootstrapping this company, right? Like I, I gotta be smart about it. So I focus on like doing research and, and having really good content and uh, trying to have good discussions with, with great people like you all up here. Um, the other thing I'll say is this this world, this art world we're in, it's, it's very uh, federated, right? So there's a bunch of tribes, as we say, um, federations. And really what you want to do is you want to meet people where they are willing to pay attention, which is often in a Discord, um, sometimes you have to set up a call, whatever. Uh, but what we really did to get Collector's Corner going is every interview we had, every tweet thread we had, I would go and post it in a few different communities that I was a part of that I knew people were interested in art, right? And, and I think similarly, I would encourage the artists to not like, you know, in a way that is inauthentic to you, but start engaging in collector communities like actually delta sauce like he's a fantastic example of this i met delta sauce and grailers and asked him if he wanted to hang out in our collector's corner community through that we met black met james uh, out at marfa so you can do this at conferences too you know wh whatever it is uh, james is also in grailers like just just you don't have to be active you, you go in there once a week like it, it doesn't really matter but just go to a place where you know people appreciate art and it's, you don't know if that's going to be the case on Twitter. Like who knows who sees it. And clearly a lot of people don't fully appreciate art on Twitter. That's okay. Like you're, you're never going to get a homogenous group on Twitter of anything, but um, you know, go to some more of your target audiences. And then I think you will get people to hear your story. Right. And, and you don't need a lot. All right. Maybe you only get 10 additional people who become your fans. Like that's a lot that that's going to compound on itself. They'll eventually tell people and, and it grows from there. So I think that there are ways to be strategic about, and, and I don't like to use the word marketing, but just like getting people to take the time to hear your story. Like that, that's what it's about and the story of your art. And you all are talented, you all work hard, you all are smart. Like you, you have really thoughtful, inspiring, creative, cool ideas that back up your art. So it's, it's really not about even necessarily making better art in a lot of scenarios. It's just trying to meet the collectors where they are and understanding how, um, how increasingly ADHD our world is becoming, at, at least from, from my perspective. Uh, one analogy I'll give you, I hope you guys like this. I literally think about this. I, I had to restart my computer, whatever, I had to set it up again. I'm setting up the fingerprint reader and with the Max, it, it makes you tap on it like 10 times. And each time you tap on it, like it picks up on a little bit more of your fingerprint. And that's, that's how it is. Like every time you put your story out there, you capture a few more people, a few more people, but you're never getting everybody on any one of those instances. And like, I can't tell you how many times, like even, even in like my community, it's like a Twitter space is happening. I know I need to go in there and remind them five minutes before or people are just not going to remember. And uh, I, I think it's just trying to like, to see what you're up against.
Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you like this episode and want to help us out, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on YouTube. Please also follow us on Twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms. Our Twitter handle is at collectors underscore XYZ. We'd also love to hear any feedback you have. So please comment or reach out. We're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey. The Collector's Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.